hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read manga before. Hosted by Deb Maioki, Christopher Butcher, myself, David Brothers, and featuring Chip Zadarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. Featuring? That's great. I love that. Sitcom me a little bit. I'm like a guest star. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're the, you're like the last one mentioned in the credits in the like opening the fawns, sequence. Yeah. Like we yeah. can only afford you for so many episodes, so you get like this <laughs> point of honor. <laughs> but so today we are talking about a titan of the shonen manga genre, which is even shonen being a genre might be a conversation we get into on this podcast. But it's Masashi Kishimoto's Naruto as background, I should say. Kishimoto was born in 1974, and Naruto ran from 1999 to 2014, so like a solid 15 years. As of May 2019, it sold over 250 million copies worldwide in 46 countries. There's a bunch of anime, there's movies. I don't know if there's a live action yet, but there probably is. And while it was running, it was like genuinely a titan uh, of manga, both in the US and in Japan. This was one of those series that I really think it helped mainstream anime fandom a bit uh, mm-hmm. because some of the designs were very like casual cosplayable a lot of the action was very easy to imitate which i guess is what they were afraid of with the ninja turtles in the 80s but overall it's just a really good comic that i think was done by a guy who really loves drawing and i wanted to talk about it because we've talked about a lot of highfalutin manga we talked about like stuff that's sort of kin to shonen chosei we're gonna get to shoujo soon but we haven't done like pure unbridled shonen where the heroes are stupid and the stakes are incredibly high. Mm. So Naruto, and it's okay if you say it Naruto because that's pretty <laughs> much how we did for like ten years when it first came over here, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it's the story of a young kid who uh, he's an orphan. He's hiding immense power as orphans often do, and he hopes to become the boss of his ninja village someday. So everyone he knows and everyone in this manga including the animals, are ninjas. So I want to start with <laughs> Deb this time. Deb, what did you think of Naruto? And oh. was this your first time reading it? No, no. I, I I was just noticing that my copy of Naruto has a Borders price sticker on the back of it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I bought it back when. <laughs> I, know I, I followed Naruto for quite a bit. Um, there was a, probably a period maybe towards the end when I just got Naruto fatigue <laughs> mm-hmm. and then didn't follow it until it ended. And then I caught up again, but mm-hmm. rereading this first volume again, I can, I can just see how it hooked people in. It, it's just so, it's just kind of like this, the shonen manga perfection in a lot of ways. Yeah. That there's this character that you immediately, you know, he's got, he's troubled. He's, but he's not, he's, He's stupid, but he's not completely stupid. <laughs> he's got problems, but you know, there. But he's got a he's got a heartwarming mentor. He has conflicts. There's all kinds of drama and action. He's got a rival. He's got a girl who kind of likes him, who kind of hates him, but kind of likes him. Mm-hmm. I think she full on hates him in this volume, though. Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. I th- yeah, she kind of is a Hermione character at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where and then they're. They're kind of young, right? So they're they're still in the you know girls suck and boys are irritate boys are clueless stage. Yeah, they're like straight up twelve years old essentially. Yeah, in that it's, in that range. I think it it sets up the premise really. What's nice about it, the first chapter really sets up the premise pretty well, 
Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the first volume, you got this, you got this great little cliffhanger. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it fulfills that shonen jump promise of hook you in, turn up the volume, turn up the speed. And then at, mm-hmm. by the end of the first volume, we're going, where's volume two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, it's well-crafted. The art is not as clean and I think this is a common theme. It's not as nice as it later gets, mm-hmm. but you don't know that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could. I, I guess I really I enjoyed it again. You know, I've knowing what you know. It's kind of like when you watch rewatch Star Wars, mm-hmm. and then you watch Luke being being hot for Leia, and you go, "No, no, she's your sister." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, spoilers. No, 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 a little no, bit. no. I'm just, I'm just saying, like knowing what you know, yeah. what happens later on. There's no, there's no weird, weird Luke Leia twist. But just knowing what happens later on, you think, oh, they were so innocent then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was so. The story was so simple then. I had no idea what, what, but from reading this frame, how, how vast and epic the story would become. Yeah. But this is, an, this is a wonderful start, and I can definitely see why it caught fire and why it's so popular. For me, I. I came to Naruto through anime the first time, mm-hmm. and then I eventually found you know the Shonen Jump print serialization, so I read it that way. And it was an anime thing for me for years until I stopped watching the anime and then caught up on the manga, and I was like, oh, right, comic books are amazing. <laughs> so I had, you know, like 70-some volumes of Naruto wow. on my shelf and then also, you know, on my iPad when I ran out of room. But I like it. It's not my favorite. I think that, like, there are aspects of, like, Bleach and One Piece, of, like, that big three that I like more. But it's really, it really like vibes with me. There's a lot about it that I do like. I love ninjas because obviously I was born in the '80s. Like it's it's a rule. The designs <laughs> are fun. The action scenes are fun. The sense of humor is really broad, but it kind of works for the characters. So reading this mm-hmm. again, like you, I was struck by knowledge of what's coming before. Like Sasuke describing something as like, "Oh, he made me cry," and like that's the big reveal. And then you eventually find out the reveal, and it's like actually horrible and traumatic what happened to Sasuke to make him cry. It's interesting going back and I'm excited to see, I think I'm going to end up rereading this book. Chris, how about you? I have a very weird history with this book, the series, and it's all positive. It's all good. This was, um, I was a, I was a bookseller when this book came out selling to, to school and public libraries. And this was one of those books when it came out, that was like manna from heaven when you're trying to sell manga into into schools uh, and into public libraries for the reluctant reader uh, demographic, which is to say, you know, usually young men, boys that don't want to read, that they think reading is not cool. And manga was a huge gateway for a lot of a lot of kids who, who didn't read it. And Naruto, dis- Naruto ended up being the book at the forefront of that that whole thing. I would just describe it to people. It's like, oh, it's Harry Potter with ninjas. And a teacher would be like, great, I need everything that you've got of that. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I need. That's all the kids talk about. I want Harry Potter with ninjas. And then we would sell that and people would be like, have you got another set? These ones keep falling apart. Not even being stolen, but literally falling apart from being read too many times in the library or in the classroom. So Naruto has been, since, since the first volume came out, a huge, this huge looming force. I actually got to interview Kishimoto Sensei, the creator of Naruto, on stage. Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I at the conclusion. Yeah, at the conclusion of Naruto, when the last volume came out, they did a special thing. They flew him to New York. They did a big thing, 
And they asked me to be his interviewer, his like onstage host for 3,000 people at New York Comic Con. I have never been on stage in front of that many people before. It was kind of like being a rock star, except they were not there to see me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was crazy. Uh, they were screaming crazy fans. And the Naruto like mania had kind of died down in the mainstream a little bit by that point, you know? But people still, you know, deeply loved the series. And they came out, they dressed up, the cosplay was very achievable. You just needed a black trench coat, you needed to put some flames on the trim, and you were good to go. Maybe some fishnets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get some fishnets. There you go. It's it's just been this ever present force. So I was telling Chip a little bit before the podcast started. I wasn't sure I was going to admit this, but uh, I read all of Naruto and I watched, you know, some of the anime before meeting Kishimoto Sensei because I wanted to make sure I like covered everything before I like came up with these questions and interviewed him. And I interviewed him twice, and I read the entirety of Naruto in like three weeks. And I wow. got to be honest with you huge sections i don't remember at all i saw you talking on twitter today being like what was your favorite fight was it when this happened and this happened and i'm like oh shit i guess that happened like but i yeah. don't yeah like it is it's a little bit like a naruto is like a fever dream for me <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting down to read this in like a very focused way to read one volume and i had a full week to do it very different experience it was like <laughs> oh and it's because this is like the third or maybe fourth time i'm reading it i really i really picked it over i really like it i think it's really good i don't think it's the greatest because i think this is gonna this is gonna i'm gonna take a hit for this uh david turn off your turn off your phones for a sec <laughs> i think being a shonen jump manga means filing down some of the edges and the weird bits that would make your manga something really special 99% of the time. And that's mm. that's just how I feel. Commercial comics have a way of watering stuff down because you're trying very much to appeal to the widest possible audience. And this could be, this is not a new take. This is not even a particularly hot take, but this is just how I feel when I read a lot of commercial comics. And this is commercial comics. I think the saving grace for Naruto is that for the whole time it was running, it was always second place to Ichiroda's One Piece. One Piece was a massive, massive hit in japan and mm -hmm. uh this still was is. always the it's still, sorry it's still going it still is it just hit 100 or what was it like a thousand chapters we yeah, had like the anniversary chapters. video for mm. a little while ago like two months ago now and it's just like naruto started and ended he started a sequel that's really just a continuation with with his son 10 years or 15 years later whatever it is Boruto. but like naruto is really 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 solid comics and the stuff that always spoke to me is the stuff that is the like kind of weirder edge kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, is there any of that in this volume that you could point out? Yeah. No, actually. Yeah. The weirdest thing in this is how radically the story changes with the chapter, third chapter. First chapter is introducing Naruto and like, he's fooled by the bad ninja uh, and he discovers and he trains hard and he gets a superpower that enables him to, it's like the shonen manga. It's such a perfect thing. Let's him leapfrog over all the stuff he's supposed to be known. So he still gets to be an underdog, but he has advanced ninja techniques now from studying the forbidden scroll. So he's still a fuck up, but he can also generate a hundred clones that are all like perfect <laughs> physical clones, whereas everyone else can just generate four clones and their illusions. They go, people go right through them. So like he gets this superpower, but he still is missing lots of the basics. It makes him a very relatable hero. A lot of Peter Parker, Spider-Man 
stuff that I was kind of getting from this, the orphan, the yeah. people being hard on you because they care about you, all that kind of stuff. Second volume, they introduce his rival, and it's the grandson of the current chief of the village, the Hokage, and this is his rival, and it's like, no, he, this guy's destined to be the whatever, but he's been pampered his whole life, and meeting Naruto makes him want to try hard, and Naruto's like, I'm going to beat you even though you're his grandson, and then and he's like, I'm going to beat you because, you know, whatever, but I'm going to try really hard to do this. The third chapter, they throw almost everything up to that point, and are like... Yeah, no one cares about this grandson kid. Like, no one, like the main teacher is kind of boring, even though he sacrifices his life in the first chapter. We're replacing the teacher with a new teacher who's got an eye patch and who's like a badass and reads funny, sexy romance novels while being the world's best ninja. We're replacing his rival with a deep, dark, like actual polar opposite character. Nudo has yellow, has blonde hair, well, yellow hair, but has blonde hair. Sasuke has black hair. Nudo's outgoing and adventurous and whatever, and Sasuke's the cool, reserved, whatever. Introduces a love interest who is not in any way present in those first two volumes. We have no idea that Naruto has feelings about anyone or anything in the first, not first two volumes, the first two <laughs> chapters. Third chapter, here's Sakura. Like, they reinvented as much of the story, I think, as they could get away with, with the introduction of Sakura, Sasuke, and um, what's his name with the eye patch? Kakashi. Uh, Kakashi, Kakashi yeah. yeah. So, sorry, do they just never come back to the grandson? No, he comes back. He comes oh, okay. back. But there's, he's, at least, he, there's at least that. He's more of a side character than anything. All right. Yeah, his yeah. role is significantly minimized. Is a way to, <laughs> to put it. It doesn't. He he doesn't factor into any of the end game stuff. Uh, that it seems like it might from the first things. And it's that's the th- that's that's. And I bring that all up because it's it's an example of us the kind of retooling that goes on in a Shonen Jump series. I don't think we've talked really a lot. Is this our first Shonen Jump? Like our official Shonen Jump? Market? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, and I'm going on a bit, but I want to talk about, I want to come back to it, but I want to talk about the reader surveys in Shonen Jump and how that affects the storytelling, not just in this volume, but for Shonen manga in general. But that's kind of a mm. bigger idea. I'm going to go with in the, short, the short version answer to your question. I like it. It's not my favorite, but the things that it does well are the things that One Piece doesn't do well. And that's what made Naruto a much bigger success in North America than One Piece is maybe ever going to be. Whereas One Piece is a much more, much bigger success in Japan. And Naruto was always in that second and even sometimes third, depending on when Bleach was actually firing on all cylinders, spot in Japan. And I think, you know, they all ran at the same time, that new golden age of, of Shonen Jump manga. But yeah, I have no problem recommending Naruto to anyone who wants to see what Shonen manga is all about. Um, and I think that that's really important. I have to ask though. So, Chip, do you, are you familiar with the way that the these reader surveys work in in manga magazines? No, but but it, it's it's funny that's mentioned because people were just talking recently about like reader surveys in like Marvel comics, mm. like back during oh, really? the bank back during the bankruptcy days. There was like a full page ads, mm. like asking the reader's like, what character do you like more? Would you like if, if Spider-Man hooked up with this character or whatever? Like, <laughs> Wow. Like just a bunch of weird <laughs> questions that never got followed up on because I think it was yeah. because they were in bankruptcy and their toy companies trying to figure out how to run this thing. And yeah, like the X-Men line just did like an X-Men vote where they asked readers, you know, to, to weigh in and DC just did their weird round robin thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The idea of the reader requests and and soliciting readers for for info is something that's kind of in the zeitgeist right now it feels like so yeah. i'm so i'm interested so i'm assuming that's what this is shonen jump they've made 
a great success out of reader surveys, I think. Yeah. Okay. Deb, do you have a good explanation of how they work? I think I think Chris probably has a better one, but to, to, to kind of make it really short, it's basically every issue they set, they ask the readers which series do you like the most uh, and rank them, I guess. And basically, what the result of these surveys lead to either a, a, a story continuing or being axed. Wow. And um, eventually, like if it's if it's continually fairly weak, then it gets axed, and another it's survival the fittest, man. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes you, I think one of the things that Chris was talking about was this change of tone mm. in Naruto might have been a result of a reader survey, mm. but I don't know. I don't know that it, can, canonically. Yeah, I, I never noticed that this this uh, that shift in tone until Chris pointed it out because I just mm. took it as hey, here's how the story goes, you know. Yeah, they're just introducing as much <laughs> but, as they can. <laughs> but I think it's the way that this works is that uh, they. A Shonen Jump series get a little bit of a tryout period. They get mm-hmm. to you have to you have to put your best shout out there and see mm. if people people it catches on with people, and you have to you have to keep singing and dancing and doing the cha cha <laughs> and keep people interested in what you're doing and keep wanting to see what you're doing. Yeah. Until you get over that hump over over that trial period. Yeah. Or over that period where, yep, you're a success. We're, you're gonna you're gonna get volumes. It's it's good. Sooner and if you keep going like this, boy, you'll get an anime and you'll be rolling in that merchandise and toy goods. <laughs> Woohoo! But you know, it's it's kind of like your fate rests on what the readers think. Yeah, yeah, more directly than they do here. Those cards yeah. would actually be bound in, and you would just tear it out of the Shonen Jump, self-addressed, stamped like stamped already. You just like fill out the card and drop it in a mailbox. They would get insane amounts of reader feedback, like on a scale that we don't. Have here, especially because Shonen Jump sold so st- sells so mm. much more than any single comic in the world, like millions, right? Weekly. Millions of yeah. comics yeah. a week. Yeah, still like two and a half million a week. I think at its peak, it was six. And Shonen Jump disposable. No, like only the like most hardcore, smallest per- like fractions of a fractions of a percentage of people collect shonen jump magazines like you buy it it's four dollars it's 400 and something pages you read it and you like probably you either you put them in the recycling bin or you leave it on the train for someone else to grab and read and that happens that happens a lot as well Well, but uh, how how often does it come out weekly it's weekly so 400 pages a week like i don't even know how you would collect that yeah. Well, they they absurd. do. They collect them into. I think it's Shonen Jump release week. Uh, once well, I mean a month, people. I mean Jump people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Like by like, a storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> but so all that preamble, we built it preamble. up a lot. Chip, what did you think of Naruto? Uh, I really liked it. It, awesome. it was one of those ones where, like, you know, when I started reading, I'm like, okay, you know, this is clearly a kids kids manga, so I just kind of have to like kind of roll with it, and you know, I'm not familiar with uh shonen mm-hmm. but this but even still i'm like oh this feels very shonen yeah <laughs> you know like i can kind of see okay yeah he's the smart ass and you yeah, know there's a different he, formula yeah and I, I i knew from the beginning like oh he's gonna be revealed to be something more than he is and you know there'll be enemies and teachers and things like that so like the the first i say the the, the first chapter in this i was like yeah, okay that's not bad but as it went, and especially once they introduced the uh, the teacher Kakashi, who I loved, oh he's great! <laughs> it's a great yeah. introduction. Him walking in, the thing falling on his head, and he just got that kind of dopey look in his eye. Yeah, 
and the way he talks to the kids is just like super funny. Like there were definitely actual laugh out loud moments <laughs> reminiscent of uh, we have the house husband <laughs> and, and, and yeah. And then it's a solid cliffhanger too at the end. Mm-hmm. So I can totally see how, how this became as popular as it did. And, and yeah, my assumption is obviously that the art gets better as it goes along. You know, there's a, there's solid art in this, but every once in a while there'd be a page where you're like, Oh, that's next level. Like it's yeah. the kind of book where I look at, it, I'm like, I could probably draw these pages better, but then it hits like was the one scene. Is it when Sasuke know. fights Kakashi in the woods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that great perspective shot. Yeah. It's like spinning, spinning the blade. Yeah. It, I'll never draw anything as good as that. Like, like seeing that, I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. This, yeah. The artist clearly loves drawing those kind of scenes. And I can only imagine future volumes have a lot of those kind yeah. of scenes in it. You know, the, the, the downside to it and part of it's just like maybe the time of it coming out the love triangle stuff (laughs) and how boy crazy she was seemed a bit much, especially her comments about, you know, being shortchanged in the TNA department. I'm just like, (laughs) 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 like that would be my only reluctance to hand it to a kid. Oh, did you see the thing on Twitter? And it was, it was, it was super funny, but someone was a bookseller and pointed out that a mother had returned volume one of Naruto to the store or to the library and had every single page flagged that had the sexy jutsu. <laughs> I said, what is these naked girls doing in a kid's manga? She just yeah. put a post-it on every single naked, you know, sexy jutsu. Amazing. and said, I refuse. This is not a child's book. Yeah. Yeah. That, that stuff was like, I laughed. It's one of those ones where I laughed and then I felt a little bad laughing because this is for kids and maybe, you know, uh, people have boobs. Get over it. The sexy, <laughs> the sexy, the sexy swimsuit ninja uh, illusions might have been a bit much. Did the nosebleed uh, part make sense to you? The which, which part? Nosebleeding. Oh yeah, Deb, you got to explain this. You Wait, which part? The nose, the nosebleed tropes. When he does the sexy, the sexy ninja jutsu, and his teacher freaks out and has a nosebleed. Um, I just assume from the distress of it all. No. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm wrong. Oh, no, wait, let's make David do it. Wait, yeah, first, of all, first. first of all, why is that so funny? That seems like a pretty uh, because good reason of that. It'll be self-evident That's actually a great explanation of what it should have been. But essentially yeah, in stressful. manga and anime, when usually a guy gets turned on, blood shoots out of their nose because their wires are crossed inside and the blood's not going in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, first of all, who started that? That uh, is a like good 80 question. years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's, it's got to be Gonagai, right? Yeah, something. Like manga's that. manga's dirty uncle. Like, yeah. is, like, like <laughs> is, is is David's description of what that actually means? Like the cross wires. Like at some point, somebody had to explain that. Somebody didn't just put I think it. The cross wires is the explanation. Yeah, it's a hundred percent accurate. Yes. Um, so if there's like a little trickle of blood, sometimes it's like they're really turned on but holding back, like their yeah. shields have been broken, kind of a thing. Yeah. And and but this this projectile <laughs> nosebleed is a is a trope. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. Gotta, That's just Google nosebleeds idea. in manga. There's so many images. Um, um and female characters do it too. 
it's like it's like when a meme becomes something different and you're just like oh like you have to reference the original meme to really understand what it means yeah people just use it as shorthand for things nested memes. that's why i had to ask because it's something that's so well established in manga as a joke as a as a symbol of someone being so hopelessly turned on it, it mm-hmm. yeah. there it's it's the visual equivalent of having a hard on in your yeah. pants and everyone can see like a boyoing sound <laughs> um, you know it's just actually you know i know we've already talked about paradise kiss but there was a there was a thing in there that i forgot to really talk about last week where it's popped up a couple of times in some manga but it was used so often in paradise kiss i I needed to ask which Mm -hmm. is the the specific face that characters have when they're like stressed or surprised or whatever and it's like it's like a weird smile and like the brow goes like like they're angry, but they're not angry at all. They're just like, uh, like I, I can't do the face. face right now. Yeah, like, you've got to find you got to find that panel so I can include it in the show notes. Because well, it's like it's like a it's like a face like the like Jack Nicholson's Joker would make. Mm. Oh more yeah, she, extreme. She made that. Caroline made that a lot in that because she a was constantly lot. like, yeah, she would be like. Like super big eyes, but like gritted teeth, sort of like a smile, like nice. crazy frustration, like freaked out face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, it's just a trope. We're all used to it. Sorry, but thanks for bringing it up. I wish we. <laughs> but but I'm just like I. Yeah, yeah it, it's it doesn't it never connected with what the emotion was to me. So I'm just like, well, this must be some sort of like a manga shortcut that I'm just not. Mm. I, I don't have any context for it at all. It's like the sweat drop meaning embarrassment. Like it kind of makes sense when you explain it, but I wouldn't have guessed that just from mm. watching, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mompu like that. There's a lot of visual symbols in yeah. manga that are lo- long um, established. And so if you've read, read manga a bit, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's what it means. But you kind of forget that it's not. Some, it's something that's unique to manga, like that little mm-hmm. um, star-like thing that sometimes shows up on your forehead that means you're irritated. Oh, yeah, yeah. like the angry you're so, like you're angry, and so you've got a vo- yes, a vo- ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah. with it's, the like used vertical. To call that a face fall uh, back in Ooh. the dark ages. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah, because it's like the context doesn't doesn't explain it at all. It's sometimes like, it's, it's like a surprise, but like surprise, like you would like your eyebrows would all would raise, but here it's like angry eyebrows, mouth wide open. Anyways, I could go on about that for a while, but mortified surprise. It's kind of like, how dare you? Right. It's kind of like, like, no, it's kind of the expression is kind of like, what? But yeah, it's so, yeah, I I have no, I can't make the connection between what the artist is trying to tell me and Mm -hmm. what they're showing me and what the scene's supposed to be. Anyways, that was that was a bit of a side thing. Sorry. No, that makes sense. On the news nosebleed front, I actually just posted. Uh, so, oh, uh, no. a mangaka named Yasuji Tanioka is uh, credited. He's a humor manga manga magazine artist from the late 1960s. Is credited with introducing the nosebleed resulting from out of control lust. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I popped his link in the chat. I'll pop it in the show notes as well. But uh, yeah. Yeah, like this is an old, old trope that is starting to actually appear thanks to the crossover that happened because of books like Naruto starting to appear in North American comics as well. Yeah. 
And he's from the boonies. Like he came from the country and moved to Tokyo and he grew up and this might be a surprise, but he grew up really intimidated and impressed by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo's Akira. Mm. So a lot of the reason why he draws the way he does, uh, very much puts me in mind of a more mainstream Tayo Matsumoto sometimes. Mm. And it becomes more obvious as the series goes on, but similar levels of detail, the rubble kind of the way he approaches action the city, you know, because ostensibly mm. ninjas are a Japanese phenomenon, but the way that he draws the environment that Naruto lives in is kind of like vaguely steampunky. Yeah, yeah. It killed like me it's... in the sequel to Naruto where they're like, by the way, we have video games and laptops. And I was like, where was this during the what? entire? <laughs> like, it's so rustic. That steampunky thing was kind of like Full Metal Alchemist as well. Yeah. Mm. Like, that, that feels you know? like it's a thing. That maybe is in more manga than just these ones. It is actually, yeah, a real blend of fantasy, steampunk, sci-fi that goes into even more basic manga, and it's hard to, yeah, it's something that someone is going to have to tease out. But basically, like, it's just like how it's like the opposite of magical realism. You know how magical realism like could be going around on normal life, but there might be like, you know, someone can do a little cantrip or a little whatever. There's a little tiny bit of ma- everyday magic going on. It's like that in a magical world, but every once in a while, someone will just pull out a cell phone or something. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like they realize like they needed like there's tele there's t- like televisions and like video conferencing in mm-hmm. this world, and kind of like in in a One Piece there's these transponder snails who act as cameras, telephones, walkie talkies, you know, they're, and they're like these domesticated snails that get turned into electronic devices. (laughs) You just got to buy in. You just got to buy into it and enjoy some (laughs) suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I guess it was presented a certain way from the beginning. Like when you mentioned like video games and TV showing up later in this, that would throw me off. Oh, sorry. There's like yeah. a 15 year gap after volume 72. Sorry. And that's what, Oh, sorry. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they they technology Atari. does significantly <laughs> advance between this series and the sequel series. Um, yeah. Um, I want to, I really want to talk about the action, but we can come back to it. Cause I feel like I always talk about action. What did you think about the relationship between Naruto and his teacher, uh, Iruka in the beginning? And we can start with chip. I liked it. Okay. Fine enough. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. Like it seemed super kind of straightforward and though I was glad that it switched over to Kakashi. Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of taints it a bit for me. I'm just like, it would have been a fine story. Just have him as like the teacher throughout, Mm -hmm. but maybe just a little boring. Okay. Deb, Chris, how about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Pretty much the uh, same. It was it was very obvious to me why they got rid of him. Not got rid of him, but like sidelined him for Kakashi because it's yeah. like if you've got a just from a storytelling point of view, you know, you've got Naruto, and if his teacher is exactly the same as him, and his teacher is the one that like whose parents died because of not like the fox demon inside of Naruto, mm-hmm. like yeah, you've got storytelling potential there, but it's really limited as compared to introducing a mysterious figure who's part of this village. Yeah. And letting that run for forty volumes, like yeah. the book does. <laughs> so I think, I think it was good. I like the sacrifice. Actually, that 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 had a lot of heart uh, for me. Deb, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I when I look at it now, and I just kind of like read only chapter one. It could actually mm-hmm. be a standalone story. 
Mm. Because, you yeah. know, there's this resolution of uh, uh, his relationship with his teacher. We discover who, he, why the villagers don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of, he unlocks some powers. It, mm-hmm. it's, and there was like a, like a, there was a, a little bit of a conspiracy against him. But so it's a really complete little, you know, 60 page story that couldn't, if they got shitty, like reader reviews, it could have ended just at that. And yeah. that would have been, that wouldn't, you wouldn't have felt completely incomplete. You would have felt mm. like there was some potential to go on, but it feels like it, it tied up a lot of loose ends. Mm-hmm. Iruka's, I think, I don't know. I think he just kind of like presents an opportunity for, to expound on, a, to. He's the um, exposition teacher. The exposition, you yeah. know, <laughs> like he moves it forward. And mm. it also is kind of funny because he, you know, I think Naruto learns that Iruka really likes him, really cares about him. Mm. And you know, there's that tough love thing where it's like, oh, my teacher, he's a jerk. And, but mm. later on, he discovers, oh, you know, like my teacher really notices me and cares about me as a person. And yeah. That's yeah. kind of nice. The crying face of Naruto. Is oh, yeah. So <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I, I, really, I really like that. It was a, it was a good choice. Yeah, that's such a good shonen manga thing too. Like heroes cry a lot in these, even in like manly stuff like Fist of the North Star. But kind of building on what Deb was saying, I was curious because Erika kind of never changes over the course of the series. And he ends up being sort of like a living Uncle Ben, where he's like the normal that Naruto returns to every now and again for advice or just peace. Which is the kind of relationship you can't foreshadow. Like you have to execute for something like that to work, I think. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, Kakashi is immediately more charming, just as Chip was saying. Like, he's honestly... Like, I know so many people who would marry Kakashi if he was a real I think, person. I think you and I both know one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so good. And I think that he's built to be a foil for the main cast. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't discover yeah. anything about him. He's clearly way more powerful than they are, so they kind of have to team up to beat him in the end and that's and such that's, like a shonen lesson oh yeah sorry that's that's not in the first volume though that's sh- chip you just spoiled volume two for chip it's like the first two pages of volume two <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that's fine yeah. it turns out that the only way to beat kakashi is through the power of teamwork and that's what he was trying to teach them all along <laughs> that's great uh yeah yeah well, and that's sort of the emotional complexity of this series there are things where it's like, oh, we have to forgive this person because they're our friend. You should be nice to people because otherwise they turn into demons, blah, 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 blah. But like that's it's on such like a basic primal level, I think, that even though I'm in my 30s, I'm like, oh, right. Like friendship is magic. I read this sometimes. <laughs> it's true. Now, little pony gif right there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to mention something. Deb was talking about the, um, the villagers' kind of secret reason for disliking Naruto and being mean mm-hmm. to him. That's such a great kind of addition to the kids kind of power fantasy trope mm-hmm. genre, because as a reader, if you're a kid reading that, you'd be like, yeah, people don't like me, but there's probably a secret reason why they don't that I don't have control over. It's not because I'm annoying or whatever or weak. It's because there's something else because I'm too yeah. powerful and they know it. You know, and, and he I, is. I, I like that. <laughs> and, and he is. So good. Yeah. 
it's 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 a really good addition to that kind of idea. Yeah, for sure. And the places that they go to with that power and with his relationship to the village are, again, like very simple but very resonant. Like I really yeah. think that shonen manga is the uh, sort of the equivalent of superhero comics in a lot of ways in terms of being mm-hmm. mainstream and like the most expensive uh, execution of comics in their markets. Mm, yeah. But there's so much heart that I think is built into shonen manga because it's expressly for kids. Mm-hmm. While I think some cape comics sometimes have like a layer of uh, observation or irony that can be hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you really thought about it, Naruto would have every reason to be a, to be a sociopath, right? Oh, yeah. Would have every reason to hate the village, to be a loner, to be a real jerk. Mm-hmm. And He'd be it, a Spider-Man villain. But end, he oh, yeah. basically ends up being basically, <laughs> you know, Dennis the Menace, right? Yeah. Dennis the Menace with ninja powers. Yeah. His hair's kind of like uh, Calvin. Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I wish there were color pages of this, actually, because he's such like a garish shade of orange that you just lose in the black and white. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's kind of like Robin, right? From Batman and Robin. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm the creature of the dark, a creature of the night with my with my sidekick who dresses in bright red and green yeah my yeah. bullet target <laughs> yeah you know, it's like yeah, i'm a ninja i'm a stealthy master of the dark and i'm wearing bright orange it's like okay cool when you're that good you're that good <laughs> yeah right i yep. gotta ask no chip since you've mm-hmm. been like really dis- disliking the color work so far what do you think of the color work on the cover because <laughs> that's about the only color we got so far i, I, di- I didn't even really take note of it let me just one second i'm gonna call it up and i'll, I'll get back to you on that because I just I, I always just kind of quickly go by the cover and then I'm shocked yeah. by the color interior pages. <laughs> uh, there are sorry, so there were actually two art books of color artworks of Naruto uh, released in English, and I think there's three or four in Japan. Yeah, it, I'm looking at the 70 second cover here, and the color style, at least with which is all just marker rendering, uh, doesn't change from the first volume to the 70 second, which I think is really interesting. Uh, it still looks like it still looks like he did a like primary red on those bricks, and then just did a uh, warm or a cool gray on top of them for the shadow, and that's like the extent of it, uh, which I think is uh, this not is, how everyone uses color. The the the, the cover I've got here is um, is definitely garish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, yeah, like it's such a, there's so many weird choices. Sorry, I'm just zooming in here. Mm-hmm. Like you've got that graphic hairstyle and then they go in and they like try and make it look like hair. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you do that? It's like such a competing style, but uh, God bless him for trying. Chip mentioned that the fight scene between Sasuke and Kakashi was, uh, it made him sit up and like pay attention. Mm. Chris, was there anything like that for you? Like a page where you were like, oh, this is when it's starting to get good? Uh, the fighting, I think, was good pretty much from the get-go. It, the, the characters change shape a little bit when the actual fighting starts. It's, it's, it's really subtle, but if you look at the first couple chapters... The characters are drawn much more, it's all organic. I was going to say organically. It's all organic because it's all drawn by hand, right? But -hmm. there's something in the way that the the characters sort of hunch and move. The clothes are a little, everything's a little bit rounder. Everything's a little bit more fiddly. Even in the fight with um, Mizuki, the the bad ninja, in the Mm -hmm. first chapter, 
you see a little bit of that, that angularity and that sharpness starts to come into play. Looking at the uh, specifically the one where Naruto um, flying kicks him on the face on page 52, or knees him in the face on page 52. There's a little bit of that there, but it still feels, especially other things drawn on the page, it still feels more mark making it still feels more like matsumoto and that's i bring that up because you brought it up but also because yeah. matsumoto's episode just released this week <laughs> great but when you flip forward to the con the fight between sasuke and uh, kakashi there is more angularity things are a little bit more sharp sharply defined and i feel like the it opens up a little bit like it it's it's the characters get a little bit taller and a mm-hmm. little bit lankier Except for panels like, except for panels like this one, where he's specifically drawn, you know, super deformed kind of. The mm. characters just feel a little bit more like we're going to draw them as fighters. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. Obviously, that scene where Sasuke, uh, where he blocks the kick, grabs his foot, and then he comes, and then Sasuke is like, "All right, you got my foot. I'm going to hit you in the face with my fist." He grabs the fist, but then he then Kakashi's out of hands, and all of a sudden he's got another leg and his hand reaches for the bell is like, you can follow that. Like that is like a super clear bit of fight choreography and storytelling. This goes back to the Q and a that we answered maybe five episodes ago about how do you follow manga? You can follow every action here and see what panels work and how things work. The characters are drawn a little bit, I think better. I don't think there's anything wrong with the style that he's affecting in the first couple chapters, especially chapter two where everything is like, really ridley fiddly with the kit like it's like oh see if you flip to um flip to page 35 right this naruto on page 35 in the lower left hand corner in other words you are the nine-tailed fox spirit who destroyed the village that character is like four heads four and a half heads tall whereas the naruto that we see later on is closer to five and a half heads tall like he's just changed the character designs and made them more commercial like that there's no one to say it <laughs> even the back of the book he's a little bit shorter he looks more a little bit more like a real kid whereas in this he looks more anime <laughs> like there's a, there's no other way to yeah. say it he looks like yeah so like the oh that happens a lot we haven't uh we haven't talked about it but like the manga will have a very certain like stylistic whatever and then people who have to animate this shit and draw it 20 times a second or 24 times a second <laughs> will come in and be like we're gonna clean up these character designs a little bit we're gonna fix this a little bit and make the characters more solid looking they take they remove some of the style the stylistic quirks of the original artist and it just looks more anime by the end of this first volume mm-hmm. the size and the size of the character on the cover is not the same as the size of the character on the back cover and i think that that's something that really shows in early works and this is like his first real ongoing i think he'd only done eight chapters of manga before before this started and it's like no you could really tell like some of this is referenced from like actual like you know kids and some of it's like the anime version where it's like what's going to look coolest on the page and that's the same reason that superheroes are drawn like 10 heads high or eight heads high sometimes like you want them to look much more real and much more powerful and much bigger and like lankier and like stretchier than they are in real life and i think that that style works better like yeah it just works so much better this last like third of the book looks like a fight manga much more than the first third of the book which looks like a lot more of an idiosyncratic work and a lot more of a an early work uh, not a first work exactly but but definitely definitely that's that's the thing that snapped into place for me was like oh he figured out 
what he wants to draw, which is people hitting each other in cool ninja ways and, you know, casting spells and how to draw it better. And that's honestly like there, there's a learning curve. There's still a little stuff he gets better at over the course of the rest of the series. But like it is remarkably close to what it's going to be in the first couple of volumes. And you can't always say that about, about all manga. Mm-hmm. And Deb, how about you? Was there a point where it clicked for you uh, art wise? Hmm. Um, you know, it, it was just for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty clean and easy to read uh, story. Mm-hmm. I do like, you know, I think the fight scenes are really good. I like this, this scene here where, um, I think it's on page 125, 126, where Naruto just dashes in to attack Kakashi. And the next scene yeah. you see is he stops him. He's got the blade behind his back. It says, I didn't say go yet. Yeah. Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool guys only. That was pretty good. Cause it was like, yeah. that's that moment when you go like, Oh, he's not a fuck up after all, huh? This Kakashi. He, <laughs> yeah. There's more to him than it, than meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. That the, was a great one. I think that a few pages after that actually was where it clicked for me. Um, there were bits that I liked quite a bit. I thought the doppelganger reveal was super good. But when Naruto, this is page 133, like four or five pages on from that up through when he does like 1,000 years of death, it's like Kishimoto got really into like sequential storytelling around this moment. And it was like, I'm going to draw out every single iconic moment in this sequence that's about to happen. And like, this is kind of the decompressed storytelling that uh, we talk about, but don't really see like executed very well very often. Which is that it, you can take one moment and make it awesome if you draw it the right way. Yeah. And this is such a dumb joke. Like he just pokes a kid in the butt and the kid goes flying into a river or lake or whatever. And that's another trope, right? The, the, oh my yeah. God. Chip doesn't know about that either. <laughs> you must explain, Chris. <laughs> what, the butt no. trope? The fingers up your butt like this. It's concho, right? <laughs> yeah, concho. Concho. Schoolboys do it. Think of it like pantsing or something like that. Yeah. I, I believe, uh, yeah, I think when we were in Japan, this was Pancho. pointed out to me, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't, I, I just get the witchies. Like, I would never stick my fingers up someone else's. Yeah, it's butt, too much, just, even just for, for bullying. Just for giggles. <laughs> and I will, oh, so the Wikipedia is like, but for this fun. Is also, this is also <laughs> in Korea, and it's called uh, Dongjim. And in China, it's called Kinyan Sha. And the world is a slang adaptation of <laughs> Concho is a slang adaptation for the word enema. <laughs> there, there you go. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. David, you love this. Uh, in accordance with widespread practice, when you're doing Concho, the like prank one, you write it in katakana. But when you're doing it in a medical sense, you use the kanji. It's the same. <laughs> That is great. <laughs> it's um, and it's from uh, Japanese comedy. It's like they used to do it on Japanese comedy, and kids would imitate it. And now I've actually heard horror stories of oh, it's like it's not funny, funny, but uh, I've heard horror <laughs> stories of like uh, alts Japanese teachers, like Western Western people going to Japan to teach English to, in Japan, and then the kids will come up and do it on them after <gasps> like, the comedy special is aired, and they're like, one of my children sexually assaulted to me today, and I don't know what to do. And the people in the office are like, oh, Concho. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, what? What the fuck? Oh, so oh, wow. They really that, do it. I <laughs> Yeah, we call that differing cultural mores. That's what we call that. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. 
I'm I'm I, su- I'm surprised that angry mom didn't put a put a post it on that page. She probably didn't yeah, get right? it. <laughs> Did not get to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now this now this one thousand years of death thing makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one part of this that's actually kind of related, to, actually directly related to the action scene. Actually, directly related to the action scene. Again, like I don't know why I phrased it like that, but. <laughs> One of Kishimoto's favorite artists is Akira Toriyama, who did Dragon Ball, who is extremely talented at this kind of sequential storytelling, like making sure you can follow your eye from panel to panel to panel. And I think you can really see it in his work, in the staging, the way it seems to come alive when he's like, wait, I get to do fight scenes? And as the series goes on, it becomes increasingly clear that like he really loves drawing combat and like the way bodies fit together in midair and that kind of thing. It's such an X-Men manga to me. Oh, talk! Explain that. Pull that out. Yeah. I want to hear what you think about that. So it's very much. Um, actually, let me clear my throat. He's always got to do that before he talks about X Men. I That's don't know true. why. <laughs> I also rolled up my sleeves, but you can't see it because it's on a podcast. <laughs> but so the X Men are a school that becomes a family that has uh, universal implications. Mm. Like Jean Grey could end the world; she could end galaxies. Whatever Phoenix Steel was. But fundamentally, it's about like the the core crew, like whether it's the original five of like Cyclops, Gene, and the other ones, or the good ones from X Men number one that Jim Lee drew that everyone uh, else likes. Um, <laughs> Oof, all right. Yeah. But so with this one, this is sort of this series sort of begins as the uh, the original X Men, where it's like Stanley, Jack Kirby, just kind of like here's some ninja adventures and some cool art sometimes. And it goes on and on, and then eventually turns into sort of the uncanny X-Men when the characters age up. It's called Naruto Shippuden. They mm. take more of a leadership role. They're at, like they kind of go to war three or four different times. Uh, it really goes places. But the core of it for me is the extreme powers married with uh, intense personal issues. I don't want to say problems. That seems like kind of condescending. But like Naruto has some stuff he has to get over. Like Sasuke has a lot of stuff he has to get over. No, uh, that, that Sasuke has problems. Yeah, he's uh, like legit traumatized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're not being you're not being facetious or whatever. Like, holy fuck, the Sasuke reveals as the series goes on are insane. Yeah, but what's funny is you can see in this book how he's always kind of drawn in a dramatic way with like leaves fluttering and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's a baby about those problems, and I'm sorry they're horrible things that happen to people. But he's fake, so I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> okay. But he's also a kid, right? Yeah, like very much so. Yeah, but it has that energy of like, oh, it's us against the world. We've got to be together to survive. But also, we have these incredible powers. We have to learn how to master and use. Mm-hmm. So I could see it's not like one to one, but like Naruto would be the Jean Grey Phoenix character because he's got like the hidden potential and all the risk. Kakashi is Gambit, I guess, and the Hokage <laughs> is Professor X, and then it kind of falls apart after that. <laughs> But I think that, like, if you grew up on X Men, Naruto would be a very easy series to kind of sink into. Yeah, I could, I can see that. Um, you, you mentioned them getting older. So, does mm-hmm. time actually progress through the series, or does it yeah. like does the series end and then picks up and they're like five years older? Uh, this is actually another shonen trope: is there's always a time skip, which is sometimes it's like six months, sometimes it's like three years, sometimes it's longer, where something happens in the plot to where everyone needs to either reunite or get stronger and the author is like i don't want to draw that stuff we're just going to skip ahead to the good part Mm -hmm. and in naruto essentially they do that i think it might be a five-year skip 
they end up being late teens. So like normal, you know, human proportions, <laughs> all new costumes, of course, because that's a big part of timescapes oh, yeah. is getting merch out there. Yeah. But it does not go in real time, I wouldn't say, but sort of each arc takes place in a period of time. So even though an arc might take like three or four years to actually print, it could be, you know, a couple of days in Naruto time and they skip ahead yeah. a bit more. It's not that bad. It, it's definitely they did the time skip so that they could age up a little bit with the people who were reading the series when it started. Yeah. But it's I think it's only I think it's only three years in that one. I don't think it's quite as three extreme. years. Sound right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's right around volume 28. But basically you. You know, there's a there's a one off. I think volume twenty seven is a one off where you learn about Kakashi's life for a whole volume, and then it's time skips to twenty eight, and that's called. Uh, it's referred to as Shippuden. That's what it was called as the sequel series in the anime, but there's mm-hmm. no differentiation in the uh, in the manga. It's just Naruto Part Two, basically. Um, yeah. Of, of the overarching story. Um, I'm I'm always fascinated with that kind of thing, just because working for Marvel, you can't do that. Yeah, like if you do it, you do it because you, you're telling like some alternate future story or whatever. Oh, like or, one year later for DC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but those usually don't stick. Or, or I mean, like uh, Spider-Man aged in real time until he became twenty-six or whatever, and then they're like, "Oh, yeah. whoa, what are we doing? We have to stop this." <laughs> <laughs> Which you know is there's positives and negatives to that, but. I'm always having discussions with Marvel over the kind of real time stuff. Cause I've, cause I've, I've done books for them that are about that progression of time. Mm-hmm. But it, I find it fascinating that there's a series like this. That's just so big, so grand that that can do those kind of leaps because they know as one creator. Yeah. 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 This is it. There's not going to be like, you know, spectacular Spider-Man to go with amazing Spider-Man done by somebody else. Like Naruto, the hidden years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there. Is, sorry, that, that's the funny thing, though. There is a Naruto The Hidden Years. Which one? So, for the Naruto anime, the anime was so popular, and they were adapting the episodes of the oh. manga, the chapters of the manga, so quickly that they actually reached the end of the manga. and they re- and, But they had to keep making anime, because it's got to be on every day after school, right? So, in the manga, they did the time skip. They did the time jump. But the anime still had a lot of stuff left. So they came up. So I think uh, Kishimoto Sensei, working with the anime team, came up with like, here's a bunch of stories like that show them powering up and like special missions and things like that, that we're not going to cover in the manga, because I actually don't care about it. But since you guys have to fill out a season. (laughs) So these are generally referred to by fans as the filler episodes or the pre-Shippuden filler episodes. And these are stories that are anime only that are generally considered not canon and not good. Uh, and they're not, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just like not the Naruto that people have been expecting. It's kind of yeah. like the, the superhero phenomenon of like, is this miniseries like, is this, I can't remember the terminology that was used the last time I gave Inventory a shit about this. Issue? Yeah. Is it like, is this progressing the overall plot of the Marvel universe forward or is it just like filler and it's like well yeah it's it's, it's all matter filler. does this matter <laughs> yeah, does this matter is, is, yeah yeah um and that's just not just a Naruto thing either that's across a wide spectrum of ad- uh yeah. manga adapted to anime yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I like how yeah. that how One Piece is doing it now because they used to have like out and out filler arcs that were just kind of boring and just noticeably worse and now the what they do is they, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, now they're doing things like um, 
stories that have heavy flashbacks that give you context. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, like here's this here's this character again, and here's all the scenes where he was in 20, 30, 50, you know, episodes ago. So you remember where why he has this relationship with Luffy. So that feels more natural to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 But for popular series like My Hero Academia and stuff, like they are butting right up against the newest manga chapters. And this is a series that's super, like, so huge in Japan. Like, they are, they're like basically everyone is just sitting waiting for the, the author to finish his 20 pages that week so that like he can send it to the, to the, to the, to his assistants. Sure. They can send it to the magazine. Sure. But so they can send it to the licensors. They can send it to the anime, you know, production staff. They can send it to everybody so they can get to work on this next thing. The amount of pressure that someone like Oda sensei or, um, I can't remember. Kishimoto sensei. Uh, Kishimoto sensei was under when he was doing Naruto, the creator of my hero academia is under right now is unlike anything in any creative field that I've ever heard. Like the Mm -hmm. idea that like hundreds maybe of people are waiting for you to finish your 20 pages uh, that week, but you've got to do that every week, literally forever. (laughs) Can you imagine Uh, having writer's block? Horikoshi sensei. Oh my God. Right. The worst. No, there's a team of people that ensure that you will never have writer's block. Uh, At some point you have to turn it all off. Like you can't, Mm. You can't have that well, in your head. Naruto ended, but uh, and he did. He did want to end the series for a while, and the Shonen Jump folks finally let him end the series, uh, which is how he described it, not me. Uh, but yeah, they, <laughs> is let, that they right? finally let him end it. Yeah. Oh. And I think it's because they still had One Piece and Bleach. I think at that point, but uh, mm-hmm. well, Bleach. We know what happened to Bleach, and One Piece is going to go forever, as far as anyone can tell. So that's good. I yeah. don't uh, know what happened to Bleach. It's oh. great. Don't listen to Chris. Oh, uh, please. <laughs> okay, you know what? Let it go. Let it go. We'll work on it. Yeah, maybe maybe David's recommendation will be Bleach at the end of the yeah. show. Yeah. All, all 70 volumes of Bleach <laughs> <laughs> for next week. <laughs> go. So I have one last thought that we can do final thoughts. This is actually kind of more of a shout out for the uh, the team. So this was translated by Katie Bridges. It was edited by Joel Enos, who actually works on a lot of image comics now with like Colin Bunn and Jeremy Hahn. Okay, but cool. the English adaptation, like the writing over the writing, was done by Joe Duffy from oh. Marvel Comics. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. And she also worked on Akira back in the day. She helped bring that yeah. to English. So it's kind of cool that she was there for two different kind of milestone moments in manga. Yeah. I hope she gets royalties. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But so final thoughts. Uh, Let's do Chip, then Deb, then Chris. It's like you have the power of a god telling us our (laughs) orders. I like it. This is super fun. Uh, It's it's maybe not one that I would continue to read Mm -hmm. uh, unless, unless the mood really struck me. And I needed to find out what happened after that cliffhanger. But if I was maybe a, a little bit younger than, say, my forty-five years, <laughs> <laughs> this would this would totally be one of my favorite books. If I was uh, a teenager, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would. This is this is the one that I would. I mean, Way of the House Husband. I recommend to everyone, but this is the one that I would recommend to uh, to kids. I think even yeah. with the. Uh, ninja bikinis or whatever and the uh, <laughs> the dna comments nice deb how about you I, I think chip brings up a good point i mean i'm often asked to recommend manga for younger readers mm-hmm. and you know because naruto is very easy to take for granted it's it's been around for a long time it's been popular for a long time it's 
it's been around and popular for so for so long. You feel like almost everybody knows it, but you keep forgetting. Kids keep getting born. Kids keep <laughs> learning how to read, yeah. and there are new new groups of kids uh. who haven't discovered Naruto yet. I think Naruto mm-hmm. is an evergreen book, and it's nice to be read the first volume again and remind it. It is actually prissy parents notwithstanding. <laughs> Good for teens, good for young, uh, preteens too. I mean, I think it's a, enjoyable. It's it's it, it's not a hard read, and it's got characters you can enjoy and action that keeps you going. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'll start recommending Naruto now. Nice. All right. Nice. Christopher. It's funny that Deb mentions that there are always kids coming up that you know need that might discover this. My nephew just before Christmas called and he's not I mean I guess he can use the phone but he's uh 12 now and he's like am I should I watch Naruto and I was like well what do you mean and he's like should I watch Naruto it's on TV I can watch it I'm like sure watch the first episode it's not a big deal if you watch it and you like it or you don't like it you just keep watching he's like okay I'll watch it then and I was like okay and (laughs) then my this his dad and brother grabs the phone. He's like, I told him that you interviewed the creator of Naruto on stage and I showed him some of the video and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the next time I saw him, he's like, I watched Naruto. And I'm like, cool. He's like, I watched all of Naruto. Later, He watched it. He borrowed all the books from the library. He owned a couple of them as well. Got him some of the novels of Naruto, the side stories that aren't adapted into anime or manga for Christmas so that he would have more Naruto to read. Wait, you bought him light novels? I bought him the Naruto light novels and he loved them. Loved them. Also, generally translated by our friend Jocelyn Allen. Thanks, Jocelyn. Uh, (laughs) My nephew loved the Naruto light novels. He read them and loved them. Uh, They read a lot uh, because we gave them books. We only gave them books as gifts from when they were kids. Uh, so there would always be books around. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, manga and comic books for the most part, but so yeah, he, he read, watched all the anime. He watched, he read all the manga. He loves it. Loves, loves, loves it. Loves it. So I had that in mind when I started rereading this volume, trying to read it from his perspective, I couldn't turn off the, like, how is this constructed part of my brain, which is why it was the big, the big shift. But at the same time, yeah, it's all there. Kids, especially at that age, think boobs are funny. So, which is the intended usage in here. He's naked. <laughs> he turns into a naked lady. That's hilarious. Uh, and, you know, incapacitates the grownups who are s- stupid. He thought that was funny. Like all the poop stuff in here, like when Naruto gets the runs, when he's tr- pretending to be Sasuke, that's funny. All that kind of like gross out kid humor. Actual 12 year olds thinks that's the funniest thing. And, you know, we'll find out in 10 years whether or not it warped him for life. But for now, I'd say we're in a, we're in a pretty good track. <laughs> And he loved it. It's it spoke exactly to him. Uh, I will say he finished it, and he's like, "I'm trying to decide what to watch next. Should I watch Demon Slayer or should I watch Hunter Hunter?" And I'm like, "Oh, Hunter Hunter is going to break your heart, buddy. Don't do it. It's never going to end." <laughs> and he's like, "I don't. Uh, I started started watching Hunter Hunter. I was hoping you, you would say that it, one because it's older." <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's he loves Hunter Hunter. He thinks it's the best. But he'll yeah. go on to Kimetsu no Yaiba. He'll go on to My Hero Academia. I bought him the first volume of the manga, so you can check that out. And it's just like. Yeah, these books are, you know, I maybe maybe even went a little too heavy on it in the beginning, but like, yeah, commercial comics, I don't love them as a as a reader who's in his you know forties, but there's a reason there's commercial comics, and there's a reason there's a commercial comics produced to an exceptionally high degree, and it's because when they hit, they really hit. Like he's someone who already loved reading. We're kind of lucky in that regard, but this is something that like ignited a fire in him 
uh, to like not only watch all the anime, but after I told him, switch to watching the anime in Japanese with subtitles on so that he could actually read along as well and hear the Japanese voices. Cause I was like, this is the more authentic way to do it. And so of course he bought that. <laughs> so that was great. He read all the manga. You're the best uncle. The next thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's, that's what this is for. And it's good. Like it's a solid comic. It's, it's no better. It's no better or worse than Spider-Man in a lot of ways. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's just, it's, I mean, the, the general argument is, this has a clear entry point and a clear yeah. exit point. There's no, there's no complication. You want to start with Naruto? Naruto number one. And mm-hmm. the story will end 70-something volumes later, exactly <laughs> how the creator intended. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. linear. There's no sides. There's no like parallel universes. There's, no, there's nothing complicated about it. There's no crossovers. <laughs> as, as a guy who writes Spider-Man... I agree that this is better than Spider-Man. But not better than Batman. No, no, I would never say that. I would never say that. I got some Batman comics for you that will disprove that theory. But yeah, yeah, I know. That's my feeling on it, is that like I'm glad that there are books like this. And the fact that, you know, I read it all once and don't remember it very much is more a a statement on me and how I read it than the the series itself. But there's some good stuff there. And there's some really good fight scenes, I got to say. He really likes drawing bodies in action, fighting each other that apparently don't, you know, obey the law of physics. Uh, sort of like Matsumoto, except real clean, as opposed to yeah. what Matsumoto was doing at TechCon. So, uh, yeah, it was great. And I'm glad I got a chance to reread it. Thanks, David. Sweet. You are welcome. Uh, I had that in mind when I was creating Naruto. We're going to take a quick break <laughs> for some advertisements and then come back to a little bit of Q&A and picking some books for the next set of episodes. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. And we're back. So that was a fantastic conversation about Naruto. To the surprise of no one who listens to the Manga Explaining podcast. Because we kill it week in and week out. But now we have Q&A. So, Deb, you've got a question you were going to read for us. Okay. We got another great one from uh, Y Carps on Twitter, David Bednar. And he says, Akira's cool for adults, but what's a good starter manga for kids? Everything I read has violence in it, so I'm going to tap out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I could come up with a few, but you know, I think there's someone who could come up with even more and have a really good perspective on this. And that would be our super friend, Eva Volin. She is a librarian at Alameda Free Library, and she knows a lot about this stuff. So let's see. Hi, I'm David Brothers, and this is Manga Explaining. Listen to me live on the scene. Can you introduce yourself and what you do, please? Sure. My name is Eva Volin. I'm the supervising children's librarian for the Alameda Free Library in California. And Eva is our special correspondent to answer a Q&A question that we got about good comics for kids, especially like starter manga and things like that. And you're one of the most expert people we know on this subject. So <laughs> you I need to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> but so what do you have for us? What can you tell us about kids manga? Well, kids manga is tough to talk about because there isn't a whole lot that's been licensed. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the social mores between the U.S. and Japan are very different. So where, Mm. for example, in Japan, where parents and kids bathing together is perfectly normal and nothing weird at all, in Kansas, that's weird. So Mm -hmm. um, publishers have to take that into consideration when they try to license books for kids. So there aren't that many. And the ones that have come out go out of print very quickly. So Mm. um, I brought to you books that, as far as I can tell, are still in print. But there is a lot more that you can pick up at your local library. And if you can't, ask them to interlibrary loan it, because even if they don't have it in the building, they should be able to get it for you. That's awesome. Okay. So the other thing is that the kids' comics market has exploded in the last few years. Like, it's everywhere, which on one Mm -hmm. hand is awesome. On the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that's being marketed as manga that isn't traditionally considered manga. So what I've brought is also um, books that were originally published in Japan for a Japanese audience, as opposed to American writers writing uh, right manga to left. Style. Yeah, manga yeah. style. I actually, I actually tried to find stuff that was uh, published in Japan for a Japanese audience. The other reason why there isn't a whole lot of children's manga out there is because a lot of the child, like the classic children's series in Japan, have been going on forever. Mm. Which is like Dor- people talk about Doraemon all the time, which is like ubiquitous in Japan, and it's about kind of an oblong shaped blue cat with magical pockets that. Every mm-hmm. kids, parents grew up with kids still love, but where do you start? Where do you, if you wanted to license it in the U.S., where would you start this? It's like a hundred years old, so mm-hmm. um, that's also another problem. I'm probably talking way too much. Sorry. No, this is great. This is, okay. see, this is why we said you're the most expert person we know. <laughs> context in addition to the list. Okay. In that case, I will tell you (laughs) that another problem with manga versus American comics uh, or Western comics in general is that where Western comics work in story arcs or short single stories lately, in Japan, the story is each volume is part of one continuous story. So you can't just buy volume one, volume seven, and volume nine and think the kids are going to get a complete story. (laughs) It's like buying Harry Potter, but only volume one, volume five, and volume seven. There's so much more that's been going on. It gets confusing and all of that. So that's another thing that that you need to keep in mind. If you're new to manga and if you're buying manga for kids, is that you've got to be in it for the long haul. <laughs> so you, I know that you guys have talked about the difference between shonen and, and uh, shoujo and, and all of the different marketed genres. Mm-hmm. I brought to you a bunch of, a kind of a mix of shoujo and shonen. Okay. They're, like I said, they're all, they all should be still in print. 
and go with the understanding that crossover reading is normal and expected. Uh, in the library world, there's no such thing as a boy book and a girl book. There are good books and bad books. Um, <laughs> so the idea that it's about a girl means that boys aren't going to read it is baloney. Mm-hmm. So if you have that bias, like try to extract it as you listen to this, because as I said, it's it's bullshit. boy books and girl books are crap and i also tried to stay away from anime based or game based manga so all original works it should be all original work there is one licensed but it's okay i think Mm -hmm. because there's nothing else (laughs) if you play splatoon you know what the story of splatoon is you don't need me to explain that to you Mm -hmm. so starting with the younger readers which is kind of ages six to nine. They don't really have, at least licensed in the U.S., there isn't really any easy reader manga. But there are some that will appeal to kids who aren't as experienced readers or are much younger, the six to nine age range. These are the kids who in prose would be reading Captain Underpants or Magic Treehouse, that that reading level range. Um, And I would start with Dinosaur Hour, which is published by Viz. It's by uh, Hitoshi Shioya. And it's perfect for dinosaur crazy kids and kids who like a little fact mixed in with their fiction. Each cha- And it's a one-shot, done in one, which is also nice. Each chapter mm-hmm. introduces a dinosaur species, gives a little actual information about it before spinning off, taking the qualities of that dinosaur and spinning off into funny, silly, crazy story about that dinosaur. And then the next chapter is about another one. So it's great for those dinosaur pocket experts and also kids who, like I said, there are a lot of nonfiction readers out there. And this is a good one that kind of mixes that in. I was one of those dinosaur kids. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> um, dinosaurs are cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and the fact that they made them funny is also great. Mm-hmm. The next one I brought is the the one kind of licensed book that I picked, and that's Fluffy Fluffy Cinema Roll, which is also published by Viz, and it's by Yumi Tsukurino. It's a San Cinema Roll is a Sanrio character, but not nearly as po- popular as like Hello Kitty. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of kids who won't necessarily have heard of Cinema Roll. This will be their introduction to it. Cinema Roll is a puppy who loves Cinema Rolls and he loves adventure. And that's as complex as it gets. <laughs> uh, and each chapter kind of works like its own adventure. In the middle of the series, like volumes three and four, it does start getting, some of the characters start getting boy crazy, which you either may want to just buy volumes one and two and, and stop there because it is relatively episodic. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got an eight-year-old, nine-year-old who, you know, is kind of starting to think liking somebody in general uh, is okay, then just keep going. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much all that I could find. I'm sure there's more stuff out there, but this is what I could find for that age range. There are books. There are books out there that are not in print anymore that should be, like <laughs> Kawa is fantastic. Oh, it's about yeah. yeah. I I can't believe that that's out of print. Um, that's by Akira Toriyama, who also does the um, Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball, thank you. Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, and it's about like a mutant koala vampire, and it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's also one volume. It's great for that age range, so you'll need to go to your library for that one. Mm-hmm. From middle grade or from younger readers, we'll go to middle grade readers, which is about age eight to twelve. Mm-hmm. 
I will launch the middle grade readers off with Cheese Sweet Home, which mm. is by Kanata Kanami. And I apologize for my pronunciation because <laughs> I was, you know, educated in California. So you get what you get. Yeah, I was Georgia. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheese Sweet Home is a great crossover for that younger group to this middle-aged group and even older. It's about a kitten who gets lost and finds a new home with a boy and his family, except, uh uh-oh, the family lives in an apartment that doesn't accept pets. So what are they going to do? Uh, It's being published now in omnibus form. And um, I keep using my hands to talk, but you can't actually see me. (laughs) So imagine that I'm incredibly animated as I'm talking about all this. Yeah. So the kitten gets lost. The family can't have pets. What are they going to do? It's very sweet. It's funny. It's melancholy as hell sometimes. And it's, like I said, published in omnibus form. Uh, So it's three volumes long where it used to be like nine, 10, something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's kind of branched out. You now also have Cheese Sweet Adventures, Fuku Fuku Kitten Tales, and then Kodansha published Sue and Tai-chan, which is just now starting to come out. I think there are two volumes available now, or at least two volumes that you can order. Mm-hmm. And then the next book that I picked for this age range is Nicola Traveling Around the Demon's World, which is three volumes long. It's published by Seven Seas, and it's by Asaya Miyanaga. And that's about a human girl traveling around in the demon world who is found by a demon named Simon, who is kind of a traveling salesman, and they go around and have adventures, and everything is great Uh and going to be great unless somebody figures out that Nicola is a human. You can imagine what happens next. Huh. Yeah. What does he sell? I don't- Is it like demon stuff? Like skeletons or something? It's like demons. They're basically- selling stuff while traveling through hell, which you think isn't great for that age range, but it actually works just fine. Yeah. And it's great for like fourth grade and up. So Mm. yeah, high third grade, fourth grade and up. And it's, it's fun. It's just silly. And seven seas doesn't get as much press, I think as most of the other manga publishers. So it, it was nice to see that they had something that was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, the the next one that I know you guys have covered already is um, Yotsuba, and so I won't go into it. If you have, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back and listen to that that episode because it's very funny. It's one of the true all ages books, and anybody who has spent any time with me at all, I know that you've heard my treaties on the fact that there are very very few true all ages books. If it's all ages, I should be able to hand it to a five-year-old and a 50-year-old, right? Because all mm-hmm. ages are – yeah, no, that's not actually what happens. <laughs> there are very few true all ages books, and I think that Yotsuba is one of them. Bone is another example of an all ages book. You can hand it to a 50-year-old. You can hand it to a five-year-old. They're going to they're gonna love it on different levels, but they're both going to mm-hmm. love it. So Yotsuba is like that. It's read by boys and girls – and I have kids in the library who are devoted to this series. Like they get mad at me, like it's somehow my fault that the next volume hasn't come out yet. <laughs> and I've had to sit and explain to them, all right, so you have to come up with the idea for the story. Then you have to thumbnail the story. Then you have to draw the story. Then you have to ink <laughs> the story. Then you have to get the editor to sign off on the story. And then it takes another two years just to get it published. So please, this is not on me that it's not out have yet. Have they ever drawn their own? Oh, yeah. In fact, Deb came and did a a program for us one year for Free Comic Book Day and Mm -hmm. taught the kids how to 
what the manga style was and how to do the different uh, facial expressions. And oh my God, the kids loved it. (laughs) Absolutely loved it. So if there's ever a way to to get your kid in front of somebody who's going to do that, take the time Mm -hmm. to do it because it's great. It's absolutely great. For Yotsuba, there are uh, 15 volumes so far. America is caught up to Japan, so you do have to wait for the new stuff to come out. Mm -hmm. It don't call me. It's not my fault. Uh, You're just going to have to stick it out and wait for the next volume. But it's okay because it's all ages. So you're still going to enjoy it even if you're not 12 anymore. No matter what. Right. Nice. Exactly. That's the blessing. (laughs) Moving up from there, we've got your tweens. The tween moniker is really problematic because depending on who you talk to, a tween can stretch anywhere from fourth grade through sophomore year in high school. Wow. Which is a broad range of ages and experiences and and uh, levels of understanding and all of that. So like puberty hits right in the middle of that. Right. Like and, and, <laughs> and earlier, if you're a girl, like there yeah. really is that divide between when girls are ready for certain things and when boys are ready for certain things. And that's mm-hmm. why in the library world, kids go from zero to 14 and teens, the teen area goes from 12 to 18. So there is that kind Whoa. of overlap. Mm-hmm. which also makes it difficult to know where to shelve something. But that's a whole <laughs> other thing that we can talk about over drinks someday. Yeah. So depending on who you ask, it can go from fourth grade through sophomore in high school. So of the next two books that I have brought for you, base your purchase based on your tween and not how the book is being marketed, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. you know, Know who it is you're buying the book for. Don't just say, oh, it says... It's, you know, 12 and up. up, Yeah. Be (laughs) be sure that you know. And that's true for any book, really. The first one I brought is a classic, um, like actual classic. It's Kitaro, which is by Mm. uh, Shigeru Mizuki. Uh, It's published by Drawn and Quarterly. There are seven volumes of this. This is another... Uh, another story that's ubiquitous in Japan. You run into Kitaro everywhere. Shigeru Mitsuki is, I would say, on par with Tezuka there as in terms of fame and influence. And adults who are listening, if you have not yet picked up Showa, which is three volumes and onward towards our noble death, uh, it's basically the story of Showa is the story of the Showa era from 1939 to 1989, which is the same length of time that Mizuki was alive. Uh, so he mm. writes. So if you're at all interested in hearing about Japanese history from the Japanese perspective, which you don't get in the U.S., same with mm-hmm. Onward Towards Our Noble Death. It's fighting in World War II from the Japanese perspective, very different from what you hear about here. They're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant and in print, so you can get those. But anyway, Kitaro, you've got this a yokai boy, which means he's a supernatural spirit or he's uh, kind of a monster. That's what the yokai is. And he's the last member of the ghost tribe. He was born from his mother's grave and he hangs out with his dead father's eyeball. So that's your base, <laughs> which <Yeah>. sounds crazy <laughs> and like right up kids who like horrors alley. Mm-hmm. The he and the eyeball travel around defeating evil creatures and having adventures, and in the process, the reader is going to learn a ton about Japanese folklore and their monsters and all of that without trying it. You know, it all just is part of the story because he's fighting these traditional monsters. The stories mm-hmm. are spooky as hell. They're creepy. They're funny, and they're totally really addictive. They're really funny and really addictive, and you can't wait to turn the page to find out which monster he's going to fight next. And like I said, they're published by Drawn and Quarterly. They're seven volumes out there. 
they're all in print. And if your library doesn't have them, please put in a request for them because your library deserves to have these books. <laughs> they're that good. And the last one that I brought for you is Witch Hat Atelier, by, published by Kodansha. It's seven volumes. It's by Komome Shirahama. And Coco is the main character. She wants to be a witch, but in this particular world, which is, as always, loosely based on early European Renaissance nonsense, um, but in this world, you have to be born a witch. You don't become a witch until she accidentally kind of oversees spies on a traveling witch who comes to her mother's inn, and she sees him like drawing out a spell and she realizes that this born not made thing is crap and that she could in fact learn how to be a witch. So the traveling magician takes her away to learn magic alongside his other apprentices. And that's where the adventure begins. And what's nice about this book that I really appreciated is that the world building happens within the story. There isn't a ton of exposition. Uh, The exposition fairy doesn't like come down, lay out everything that has happened in the past and catch your speed. You, the reader has to get up to speed along with Coco, which is very cool. The art is gorgeous. Yeah. So those are the books that I brought for you. Nice. I will say, like, as I mentioned earlier, there are a bunch of books that have gone out of print that are great. Uh, Kawa is one. Jacko the Galactic Patrolman is one. Um, Hikoro no Go, which is probably the greatest sports manga I have ever read, but it's about playing the board game Go. And it's Mm -hmm. exciting, and there are rivalries, and I can't believe that I wanted to read all like 80 billion volumes of of a book about a board game. But I did, and it's great for kids. And then there are all of the Udon Kids manga, like Fairy Idol Canon and Ninja Baseball Kuma, that are way out of print, but are great, especially for the younger age ranges. Mm -hmm. And that's where you want to visit your library and see if you can get them there. And that's all I brought for you. That was super thorough. That was great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. Is there anything you would like to plug? Is there anything that I would like to plug other than encouraging your local library to collect manga and to collect manga and to understand that manga isn't just for teens? You guys Mm -hmm. on Manga Splaining have been great about pulling in books for all different age ranges. It's Mm -hmm. really important for parents and just general people to understand that just because it's drawn doesn't mean it's for kids. Yeah. Just because it's drawn doesn't mean it comes from the newspaper or, you know, or what have you. Adults buy newspapers. Kids don't buy newspapers. We're just lucky that kids like Garfield. (laughs) Do they? (laughs) Do they? (laughs) No. (laughs) But um, not me. I've kind of, fortunately, I've grown past it. I would like to think that I have grown past it. Anyway, I'm I'm way too mature for Garfield. That's Mm -hmm. funny too. Same boat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So as far as plugging goes, I would say if there's a manga that you're interested in, you don't see it at your local bookstore, and your local bookstore is hesitant about um, ordering comics, there are still some uh, bookstores that are. Or if you're Mm -hmm. at um, a big, gigantic box store like Barnes & Noble, A, reconsider your purchasing choices. Um, And B, they're only going to buy what they think they can sell. And they're only going to buy what their buyer is attracted to. So again, ask them to order what you're interested in. If they're hesitant or they say they can't get it, please go to your local library. Don't uh, deprive yourself of these great books just because your local bookstore doesn't have them or they've gone out of print. Awesome. Thank you for the recommendations. (laughs) Sure. Thank you for the company. I love being a special correspondent. This was fun. 
Awesome. And this has been Magus Planning. Listen to me. Cool. So we solved the problem of manga and children forever, thankfully. <laughs> and now Thanks, we get Eva. to recommend Chip some new books. <laughs> Woo! So how do we want to do this? I don't remember who went first last time or the number I went in, but I'll go last. So Chris, <laughs> what will you recommend for Chip? I was actually going to change my recommendation based on what you and Deb offered up. Uh, I have, <laughs> there are three books I really want to do that all have really good reasons why we should do them. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't do like, it was like mixed up and interesting. But uh, you know what? Since I have to go first, I'm just going to be selfish. I'm going to do the book I want to read the most. So Jiro Taniguchi is one of my favorite manga creators, Chip. I got to see a couple of exhibits of his work. He was featured at Angoulême one year. Really, really amazing creator. He is the very definition of someone who's big in France, but not necessarily big in North America and, you know, well-regarded in Japan, but not quite to the same degree that he is in France. He does works that are sedate salaryman manga is the best way to put it. He came out of like an older seinen, like an older like young men's magazine kind of thing. He started off doing these like adaptations of like, mountain climb like he worked with an art author to do a mountain climbing manga about a man like summit of the gods challenging the mountain he would do adaptations of like jack london survivalist stories that sort of thing you know he's done all kinds of stuff he moved on to doing like vaguely autobiographical comics about a man in his 50s looking back at his life (laughs) basically all right so the one that is my jam one that is most popular in Japan is called The Solitary Gourmet or The Lonely Gourmet, depending on how you translate it. And it's a, just about a salaryman dude who has never, you know, isn't the president of the company, but isn't like the, the you know, he's just like settled into like being middle age. And he just goes out on his lunch hour or sometimes after work and eats at a different good restaurant every day. And he talks about the food that he eats. And that's yeah. what it's about. His other yeah. ones are a little bit more. He's got one that's called, just came out actually. Look, Chris, Chris. Um, I already told you on it. Well, yeah. First of all, I don't need the, the guy's whole biography <laughs> and bibliography. What are you recommending here? All right. So the one I want to recommend, it came out a couple months ago. It's called A Journal of My Father. It's okay. come out. It's been out in France for like over a decade. The newest one from him in English is a re-release of... Uh, where is it? Oh, Distant Neighborhood, uh, it's called, which is kind of like big, but set in Japan in the 1950s. But we're going to, the Tom Hanks vehicle big, I mean, we're going to skip that one because that one's really good. But I haven't read Journal of My Father. So this makes the second week in a row or second time in a row where I'm recommending a book I haven't read that's just by an author I like. So Journal of My Father by Jiro Taniguchi, someone looking back at like, you know, the life of his father and things that he's done in a very, it's got a beautiful art style. It's like super realistic, really detailed backgrounds. It's good stuff. Uh, I really, really like his stuff in general. And I wanted an excuse to read the new book because I don't have one otherwise. I read one book a week and it's whatever we have to read for Manga Splaining. <laughs> and I want to read that one. Now. I, I I'm making you, it my yeah. Manga Splaining pick. No, so, you're going uh, two lies with my recommendations. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are no digital rights for this one. You son of a bitch. So you've got to buy another book. 
but it just came out. It should be pretty easy to get. It's published by a a company called Fanfare Opponent Mall. Very small publisher of excellent books. Deb and I are friends with the gentleman who runs it. And yeah, you know, if we can, we can boost up a a company that's publishing what I think are really, really good comics, but to a very small audience in North America, then we've done a good thing here at Manga Splating. A hundred extra copies of that could make a real difference. So Journal of My Father is my pick. Pretty good. All right. Deb, what do you got? All right. I'm going to go back to basics (laughs) because when I went out on a limb and I later on read what I picked, I thought, oh, I kind of, I overthought this a little bit. So I'm going to go back to this manga that I recommend to almost everyone who said I I should read manga. And that is A Bride Story by Kaoru Mori. Oh, oh, super good. <laughs> I, it's a really lovely, lovely book. Carol Mori is just an incredible draftsperson. She draws beautiful, exquisitely drawn art. Mm. It's just amazing. And a lot of wordless sequences. This particular story is about a wo- young woman named Amir. She's 20 years old. The story is set in like late 19th century Silk Road, uh, like Turkey, Middle East. And she is from a, a nomadic tribe. And she gets married off to... a into a, another tribe. The thing is, her husband is 12 years old. She's 20. She's a very grown-up woman <laughs> by comparison. But <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. very kind and takes she takes to her new husband. She's very patient with him. But what's really beautiful about it is the way that this story unfolds. Akaro Mori is very much into history, and she draws the exquisite day-to-day life of what it's like to live in 19th century Turkey, Ottoman Empire with exquisite detail. And even like she has these super dynamic, like the scene in volume one that has this amazingly dynamic hunting scene where it shows um, how Amir is basically an um, extremely good hunter. Like she mm-hmm. can, she can ride on a horse, pull back a bow and shoot a rabbit from like 50 <laughs> yards. And it's all done. It's cinematically exquisitely drawn. What I love about Kaoramori's artwork is that she lets the characters' faces do the acting. You can tell a lot about what the character is thinking or feeling just by real subtle uh, ways that she draws how they look at each other and the way that she shows emotions. I just think she's a masterful, masterful visual storyteller. There's a lot of heart in what she has to show. I think you could enjoy the series over 12 volumes, but I think you could just read volume one and just be swept away. Yeah, the drawings right. are that good. And it's is it available upsetting. available digitally? Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> well done. <laughs> but it is a beautiful hardcover, so if you ever feel like get fondling yeah, yeah. some paper. I didn't know those were hardcover. That's kind of cool. My pitch is much less highbrow than Chris and Deb's, to the surprise of absolutely <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of what should I recommend for Chip this time because I wanted to, you know, wing it and not come prepared to the podcast. And your comment about the faces in Naruto in uh, Paradise Kiss and to a lesser extent Naruto struck me that we haven't gotten into a lot of like really good comedy manga yet. We've had manga with jokes, oh. but mm-hmm. not like gags. So this series is about two young men. They live in Tokyo in like the early 2000s and they're roommates. They're supported by their father. And they basically have nothing going on. And one is named Buddha and the other is named Jesus Christ. And they are roommates. <laughs> and it's called Saint Young Men. And honestly, any description I could give you would not do it justice. 
<laughs> it's the best. Oh my god, this yeah. is the best. I mean, yeah, you, uh, I don't think you actually need to say more. That's so that's great. a pretty good trio, I think. All right, so uh, all right, here's my here's my picks. Mm-hmm. Here's the order. I'm gonna go in reverse. So what we're doing last is Journal of My Father, only because I have to order it. <laughs> So nothing Fair to enough. do with nothing to do with quality, or Chris's sense. Chris's maybe too long pitch. It's got nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. Continuing to go backward, I'll, I'll say Saint Young Men. Mm-hmm. You sold me on that, but I think a, a Bride Story wins out as first pick because I, I'm kind of I'm really craving some really beautiful artwork. I don't think you're going to be disappointed there. Yeah. <laughs> helps it deb actually had the visual to show me yeah <laughs> it's a little bit of cheating i should have taken points off for that but how yeah. else do i sell good art not showing it it's true it's true very much so and she's yeah. so good at drawing like i feel like no one draws fabric as well as karu mori does but we'll oh, get there man and there's videos of her it's just drawing like you can just see her hand and her using a oh, pen I and ink never watch that it's hypnotic <laughs> it's just exquisite cool Yep. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we got a pretty good roster. Yeah, that sounds like a good good selection. Does anyone have shout outs? Okay, so I guess got a box with some more manga today. Mm-hmm. I got the new hardcover edition of Super Sentai Himitsu Sentai Gorenger by Hyotar Ishinomori from mm-hmm. Seven Seas. It is basically the precursor of the Power Rangers. And it's done by the basically who I consider to be like the Jack Kirby of Japan, the guy who is the god of superhero comics. Mm. He draws amazing, amazing explosions and action. It's just kind of crazy and over the top. Like if you're talking speed lines, speed lines a go go. Yeah. And this is it's all sixties, seventies stuff, right? Yeah, really? it's amazing. Wow. I used to yeah. I used to watch this TV show when I was in Hawaii, and as a kid, it was a tokusatsu show, which is like a live action superhero show. I just got through the part, finished reading that part in One Piece, where they had Big Mom. Oh yeah, with Germa sixty six, and this is like uh, Germa sixty six is based on Gold Ninja. It's once you see like the Power Rangers, it's like the FedEx Arrow, you know, like there's always like a red leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes so. so many things make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's I so it's up. so ridiculous, but it's just a fun read. It's only one volume, so mm. I'm, I give props to Seven Seas for publishing these. I think they're also going to publish Common Rider as well, right? Common Rider later later this year, and Lupin the Third as well. There's mm-hmm. a Greatest Hits edition, I believe they're putting out. Yeah, yay for manga manga Seven boom. Seas Month. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, how about you? So this week, actually, I wanted to shout out a personal friend. Sorry for the uh, the indulgence I'm asking of all of you. But uh, it's someone who uh, listens to the podcast a lot and has been really kind and thoughtful. And their name is Helen. And they put together this beautiful little Sakura tree out of cross-stitching for me because we both miss being in Japan for for spring a lot. Mm. I was ha- I was lucky enough to give them some advice on where to go, and they had an amazing time. And then, thank you for sending that. It was very, very kind. And thank you for supporting the podcast. I see your comments on all of the different social medias and uh, the little notes and things like that you send. It was very kind of you. Thank you. I, g- I want to shout out another friend who got me a thing, but I think it might embarrass How many him. friends do you have? Yeah, calm well, down, he's, all, <laughs> he's all of our friends, and he got us a nice little gift this week. And I really appreciate him. And he doesn't like to be thanked or 
in any way recognized for anything he does nice, which is really weird. So uh, <laughs> I won't say. I'll leave it up to Devin David if they want to. But uh, Chip did something very nice for us. So thank you, Chip. I appreciate you. Whatever. Okay. Uh, because I am Chip's true friend, I will not name him while thanking the anonymous benefactor who did something <laughs> nice for me. <laughs> Jeez. That was our episode. Masashi Kishimoto's Naruto will be back next week with more oh. manga explaining fun. Oh wait, I want to give a yeah. I want to give a one shout out. Oh, yeah, no. hit it. I just want to do uh, I want to do a shout out to Baby Boomers. <laughs> they don't get shout outs enough, but I want to shout them out specifically for being uh, just cowards <laughs> for not taking uh, AstraZeneca here in Canada, which has lowered the age age level for for taking it so all of my friends who are in their 40s are now getting vaccinated so shout out to boomers for being absolute cowards (laughs) and on that note we will see you next week This has been Manga Explaining, Episode 15, covering Naruto, Volume 1, by Masashi Kishimoto. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga The Strange Tale of Panorama Island, by Suihiro Maruo. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.